Hello there, my name is Danny Yeoman, wild bird expert for Pets Corner and developer of Peter and Paul Bird Foods. Welcome to the next for a number of podcasts detailing some of the amazing birds that we see and feed in our garden. Every week we're looking at a different bird, but this week we're actually be looking at a group of birds, the much misunderstood seagulls. Seagulls are a group of birds that seem to polarise the nation. They're a marmite animal where people seem to either love them or loathe them. Now, as you can imagine, I have always been on the love camp and don't really understand loathers. For example, the good citizens of a seaside town close to me, or to be more accurate, their town council, declare war on these birds. Throw a seagull as much as a slice of bread or a cold chip and you risk a £2,500 fine. Given that seagulls were around long before the town council, this does seem a tad harsh. So why do I love seagulls? Well, for me, they're among the most fascinating birds on the planet. Don't believe me? Well, here are some reasons to change your mind. Firstly, beauty. The great evolutionary biologist Stephen Jay Gould once wrote that a gull's wing was about as near as nature ever gets to perfection. Indeed, he argued against his better judgment that it was a fairly good argument for intelligent design. So well suited to its purpose did it appear. And while the aerodynamic form of a gull's wing is of course a product of natural selection, it is indeed hard to imagine God creating anything much better. Just watch a gull soaring gracefully above a quayside, and you'll see what I mean. The gull's call isn't a sound that even their best friends would describe as beautiful, but it is incredibly evocative of childhood holidays by the seaside, bucket and spade in hand. Now, of course, it's increasingly heard in our cities, acting as an urban equivalent of a cock crowing. Indeed, it's impossible not to admire the sheer adaptability of gulls. On holiday in Devon recently, I was amused to see people having everything from pasties to ice cream snatched by these airborne raiders. But a taste for convenience food isn't natural gull behaviour. These birds have simply learned to take advantage of unsuspecting holidaymakers, just as they have learned to forage on landfill sites further inland, taking advantage of our gross wastefulness. They didn't create the throwaway society, we did, and they are simply reaping the benefits by grabbing a free lunch whenever they can. In Tunbridge Wells, where I live, herring gulls and lesser blackback gulls have recently moved into the town, in huge numbers from the coast. By day they head a few miles west to our landfill site on a local industrial estate to feed, while by night they sit under street lights looking for scraps of fast food dropped by nocturnal revellers. The secret of their success, apart from the ready availability of food, is that by nesting on the flat roofs of office blocks, they can avoid predators such as foxes, and so are able to raise two or three chicks every brood. Surprisingly, the herring gull has recently been added to the red data list of declining birds in the UK, because of a huge fall in numbers at coastal nesting sites. So Tunbridge Wells, and your local town or city, may prove a vital refuge. And now that they live alongside us, maybe we should learn to appreciate them more. Like the introduced and equally despised grey squirrel, gulls demonstrate fascinating aspects of animal behaviour right under our noses. 
Last year I was walking through the lanes of Brighton with my wife when we noticed a pair of gulls engaged in a courtship display. We watched transfixed as the male strutted his stuff around the apparently reluctant mate. Yet for all anyone else noticed, they might as well have been invisible. It's worth noting that technically there is no such thing as a seagull. Birding purists always refer to them as gulls, partly because several species, including the familiar black-headed gull, spend the vast majority of their lives in land. A park pond or boating lake is far more familiar territory than the open sea for these landlubbers of gulls. Most people hardly notice gulls. They happily ignore them, but they just don't know what they're missing in this country. From the miniature grace of the little gull, the world's smallest and not much bigger than a blackbird, to the aggressive appearance of the great blackback gull, the world's largest, which dwarfs a herring gull. In between we have the elegant slenderbill gull, the frosty looking Iceland gull, the smart Mediterranean gull, and the dark, brooding, and obviously misnamed laughing gull. And that's just for starters. Venture further afield and you can watch dolphin gulls, as I have done in Tierra del Fuego. Silver gulls, the ones you always see flying when you're watching Aussie test matches. The only real reason I watch cricket. And the majestic great black-headed gull, one of the smartest birds I've ever seen, roosting in their hundreds on the salt pans next to Israeli kibbutz. Okay, I'm a bit obsessed with gulls, and I still have a few left to see, including the world's only nocturnal member of the family, the swallowtail gull on the Galapagos Islands, whose unfeasibly huge eyes enables it to hunt at night. Which brings me on to the final reason that gulls are wonderful, their scientific value. When Dutch biologist Nico Timbergen published a slim volume entitled simply The Herring Gull's World in 1950, he can hardly have imagined that this would become the basis of a new science, ethology, the study of animal behaviour. By simply watching the behaviour of a colony of herring gulls and recording minute details of interactions between the chicks and the parents, he began the kind of detailed analysis of their fellow creatures we take for granted nowadays. Among his discoveries was the red spot on the lower part of the herring gull's bill, acts like a stimulus both for the chick and the adult. By pecking at the spot, the chick prompts its parents to regurgitate the fishy paste it's brought back to its brood. What was truly amazing is that when Tim Burgeon placed a piece of wood with a red spot painted on it into the nest, the chick began to beg immediately, a brilliant demonstration of the importance of pre-programmed behaviour in nature. I've always loved gulls, but there was one road to Damascus moment when I realised this. It came a decade ago. I was at Portland Bill Lighthouse near Weymouth with my wife. As the birds floated effortlessly in the blue sky above the lighthouse, my wife turned to me and said, what a poor world it would be without seagulls. The town councillors of seaside towns may not agree, but I think she was dead right. Now, we have seven species of gull that breed here in the UK, but although David Cameron a few years ago said that we need to have a big conversation about seagulls, I'm not sure that's what he meant. I'm sorry, but I don't have the time to cover all the species, and I'm sure you'd prefer me to cover only the species you're likely to see. What we think of seagulls are one of three species. 
The first is the herring gull, which is larger than the black-headed gull and the lesser black-backed gull, and in the summer the adult birds have a pale grey back and wings, which have black wingtips and white spots. The head and neck and breasts are white, the legs are pink and the bill is yellow, with a red spot near the tip. The eye is yellow with an orange orbital ring. In winter the bill is duller and the head and neck are streaked with grey. The plumage varies greatly according to the bird's age and the season. Juveniles are mottled brown with a dark bar at the tip of the tail. Immature birds become progressively greyer above and white below until they reach adult plumage in their third winter. The second is the lesser blackback gull. The lesser blackback gull is slightly smaller than the herring gull but has longer legs and a thinner bill. The adult's back is dark grey, as are the wings, which have white edges and black tips with white spots. The head and body are white in the summer, but the grey is streaked with grey in the winter. The bill is yellow with a red spot near the tip, and the eye is yellow with a red orbital ring. The legs are yellow, unlike the herring gull's pink. Juveniles and first winter immature birds are similar to immature herring gulls, but darker. The bill is black, the eyes are brown, and the legs are pink-brown. In their second year, the head and body are whiter, and dark grey feathers start to appear on the back. The legs and bills also become increasingly like the adults. The last of the species is the black-headed gull. Not really a black-headed bird, more a chocolate brown. The black-headed gull is a medium-sized gull, and our commonest inland gull. The range of plumage that they have depends on their age and the time of year, as does for most gulls, and so they are not the easiest bird to identify. All year round, the adult black-headed gull has silver-grey underparts and a dark red bill and legs. The wings have black wing tips and a white edge along the forewing. In the summer, the adult has a dark chocolate brown head, but not the nape of the neck but in the winter it only has a small black smudge to the rear of each eye. Juveniles have ginger brown mantles, shoulders and wing feathers, but over the space of two years become more like the adults. As I've already mentioned, the call of the gull is not going to win them any friends, but the yelping yow and laughing calls like ga 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 of the herring gull are very familiar ones at the seaside. Let's have a listen. The lesser blackback gull is similar to the herring gull, but rougher sounding. Let's have a listen to them. The black-headed gull has a variety of calls, one of the more common being a harsh kiar. In the book Watership Down by Richard Adams, Kiara is a short-tempered but good-natured black-headed gull. I'm guessing in Richard Adams' world, all black-headed gulls are called Kiara. Let's have a listen to them.
With regards to nesting, herring gulls nest in colonies, mainly on rocky cliffs, but also on dunes and even on buildings in coastal towns and cities. A large nest of seaweed and grass is built, sometimes as early as February. A single clutch of two to four eggs is laid, but if these are lost, more are laid. The eggs are laid on alternate days, so that the young hatch at two-day intervals. The eggs are incubated by both parents for 25 to 27 days. The chicks, which are covered in grey down with dark blotches, are fed by both parents on regurgitated food. To obtain a meal, they peck at the red spot on the parent's bill. Studies in South Wales have shown that herring gulls which feed their young on food scavenged from fish docks breed more successfully than those which mainly fish at sea. With regards to lesser blackback gulls, they are typically monogamous and arrive at nesting colonies from April. The nest can be anything from a heap of grass or feathers to a simple sparsely lined scrape. Up to three eggs are laid between May and mid-June and are incubated by both adults for up to 28 days. The chicks fledge at 30 to 40 days, after which they join other immature birds and non-breeding adults in clubs, spending most of their time resting and preening. The lesser blackback gull becomes sexually mature at four years old. With the black-headed gull, well, these gulls nest in colonies as well, within which pairs defend small territories. They will defend these territories from other birds using ritualised displays. Two or three eggs are produced, which are incubated for up to 26 days. After a further 35 days, the chicks have fledged. Black-headed gulls are fairly long-lived, with a maximum recorded lifespan of 32 years. Now when it comes to feeding, herring gulls are opportunistic and will eat most things. Fish, crab, insects, eggs, young birds, small mammals and garbage. The lesser blackback gull diet varies with the season. In the summer they feed on prey and carrion, comprising of worms, insects, bird eggs, nestlings, fish and small mammals. In the winter they feed more on fish and shellfish, but also scavenge on rubbish tips and agricultural land. Actually, only one of the trio regularly turns up on a bird table, and that's the black-headed gull. In the wild, black-headed gulls feed on seeds and invertebrates, but like the other two, will scavenge in rubbish, and during the winter, noisy gangs will sometimes visit bird tables. Although their presence will deter smaller birds, they never hang around long and will love foods like Peter and Paul mealworm mix or Peter and Paul in full song. British herring gulls are resident and mostly sedentary so that after nesting the birds and juveniles disperse only short distance to favoured feeding grounds, often farmland away from the coasts. Some do migrate to southern Europe and the Mediterranean for the winter where they are joined by other continental birds that have migrated southwards. Similarly, the British population of herring gull may increase three to fourfold when Icelandic and Scandinavian birds stay for the winter. The lesser blackback gull used to be only a summer visitor, but now most of their birds are resident, though some do still migrate to Africa in the winter. The British population is joined by Scandinavian birds in the winter. These have darker, almost black backs. 
During the winter, many lesser blackback gulls roost on inland lakes or reservoirs at night and then fly to feeding grounds such as rubbish tip and fields in the daytime. Black-headed gulls leave their colonies in July, when the breeding season is over, returning in March the following year. Most UK birds are resident, but may fly great distances within the British Isles. The winter population includes many Icelandic, Scandinavian and Northern European birds. In the winter they often form large flocks, sometimes with other gull species roosting on lakes and reservoirs at night, feeding on farmland, fields and landfill sites during the daytime and flying in large formations between the two. Herring gulls, lesser blackback gulls and black-headed gulls each have excess of 100,000 breeding pairs in the UK. But it may surprise you to know that all seven breeding gulls are birds of conservation concern in the UK. The herring gull is now red-listed due to severe declines in its national breeding population and the other species are amber-listed. The cause of decline in herring, lesser blackback and black-headed gulls is not yet known but could be the result of changes in maritime environment including pollution or changes in commercial fishing practices. Whether you live in the town or country, you can help look after birds and other garden wildlife by providing a wildlife friendly garden that includes having water and the very very best foods available for them, foods like Peter and Paul. For more information regarding Peter and Paul wild bird foods, please check out the Peter and Paul website at www.peter-and-paul.com or pop into one of our wonderful Pets Corner stores. And the nearest store to you can be found at the Pets Corner website at www.petscorner.co.uk. Well that's it from me. I hope you've enjoyed this look at seagulls. For further birds please continue to check out the stream and I look forward to speaking to you soon.